destroy there doesn't mean like break and shatter to pieces. It means to reverse the effects of. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Totally different word. That word destroy means to wreak havoc and bring destruction and death, smash something up and destroy it beyond any, any fixing or any repair. But when Jesus comes, what he comes to do is he comes to bring restoration. He comes to make of no effect the things that the enemy has. He doesn't just take a broken up, like let's say we go up and we we smash our car and it gets destroyed. That's the devil's kind of destruction. Jesus doesn't just come and take that and start bending the metal and doing this. He brings everything to fresh newness and undoes what has been done. And I think, in many cases, it's better than we had before because we're experiencing the fullness of what he has. So what I'm going to talk about today is life as it intends to be four different things that we really have to grab hold of and pursue. And when I say pursue, we're pursuing God. We're not striving for stuff. What we're doing is we're opening ourselves up to God in seeking the things that we're going to be talking about here. So let's get some overall scriptures because what do I mean by life as God intends it to be? I mean everything that he wants us to have here on earth. We know that there's going to be new things. We're going to have a new body, right, when we when he comes. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's not the stuff I'm talking about. What does he want us to have here, now, right now, on the earth? And I think as far as he's concerned, he wants to bring wholeness. And so that's what we're looking at. So the first scripture that we have here comes from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Now you've heard these a bazillion times from me and you're going to hear them again because I don't care. It's the word of God and repetition helps us. It's, you know, the more we hear it, all of a sudden something's going to pop out that we've never seen before. So it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so then you can go, well, sure, heavenly places, heaven's heaven, that's wonderful, everything's there, everything's up in heaven. But he says, pray for your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, pray this. You see, when he was talking to the disciples, he was teaching them to pray right now. He wasn't praying for something way in the future. He says, when you pray, pray for the kingdom, what's up in in heaven, to be manifest here on the earth. And so we can just say, well, it's spiritual blessings. Well, good, I got another verse for you. Because sometimes we think everything's in the future. Everything's when Jesus comes back, but he's got so much for us. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, now see, it says, seeing that his divine power, so it's God's power that's doing this stuff. The things I'm talking about, according to his divine power, his divine working, right? He has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, is there anything under everything for life and godliness that isn't included in our life? Everything for life. Everything for godliness. 
And so God has made this stuff available to us through his divine power. And it's for here and it's for now. And it says uh, through, and here's a huge one, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. He has stuff for us now and it's here and it's by his divine power and it's available for us that we can become and experience partake of his divine nature. What do you think the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. What what do you think that stuff is? Something we do? Oh, I'm going to manufacture it. No, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. It's a divine thing that happens in our heart as we allow the Holy Spirit to have control in us. His fruit begins to work in our lives, and we begin to increase and see those things. These things are by His divine power. How about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Those things are through Him. So, So this is something that God wants to do. And... And work in us. I'm not talking about pie in the sky stuff. I'm talking about here, now. You know, because a lot of times we just say, oh, God will do something. God will do something. And it's always in the future rather than right now. And he wants to move in our lives right now. You know, he took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his light. We're not controlled by the enemy. We're not controlled by his agenda. We're controlled by the kingdom of God. We're part of his kingdom. And we're soldiers of Christ. We're part of his body. And we should stand in that. And I want to say this too, because when I say pie in the sky, that doesn't mean we're not going to have persecution. We have to take what the Bible says. Jesus says, in this world you'll have tribulation. Because there are there is a warfare going on. There is a spiritual battle. There are those who are opposed to Christ. And we see it every day. So if we get persecuted, that's that doesn't mean anything as far as as what we're talking about life as God intends it to be. Do you remember Paul? He's in prison. He says, you know what? You can put me, well, he didn't say it exactly. I'm paraphrasing. You put me behind bars. You can lock me up. You can put me in prison, but you can't take what I have inside of me. You can't change my peace. You can't take away the love of God. You can can do something to my body. You can hurt me. You can damage me. You can uh, kill me. But that's not the end. Because you cannot separate me from Christ or his love. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul understood that. So the things that God wants to give us are many times internal things and then relational things and things like that. And we want to strive for those. So what are these four things? We're going to go through one at a time. I'm just going to tell you one at a time. I'm not telling you all of them. So sorry. But the first one is, we need to have a true knowledge of God. I mean a true knowledge of God. Not what we think God is, but what God has revealed himself in the word of God and in his actions and the things that he's done. Because so often what happens is we get this, we have wrong views of God because of the life that we've lived, things that have happened to us. We think that God doesn't care sometimes or that God's this over-demanding over and, and controlling 
deity, you know, that's, you know, you, you mess up and I'm going to crush you. I'll kill you. And he's standing up there and he's demanding and commanding. and That's not God. He calls us to love him. He calls us. He gives us opportunity to respond to him because he wants us to respond in love. He's not controlling. Of course, he gives us commands because he's the king. But he doesn't, com- you know, control and manipulate us and twist and make things happen. What he does is he gives us the ability to walk with him and to be with him. And so we have to have this knowledge of God, a God who's good, a God who's loving, a God who's kind, a God who does bring justice and destruction and death because he is against sin and the destructionness and his righteousness, he has to deal with sin. But his heart is for people and not against people. His heart is to bring everyone to a repentance, everyone to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be reconciled. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Every person, every person, but every person won't be reconciled because they refuse to come to God. Jesus opened a door for people to come and respond and receive life. But some reject it, push it away. But God's heart is come. It's not, oh, I hope you don't come so I can crush you. Even Ezekiel, even the Old Testament says, God doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't delight in it. Oh, this is so fun. Crush him. His heart's breaking as he has to bring justice. Because he loves people and he's called them to himself. But he also loves them enough to allow them to reject him. Which is really quite an incredible thing. So it talks about a true knowledge of who God is. And here's what it says in Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of of him. So what's going on? Paul's praying. See, he, he, this Ephesian church, he says, ever since I've heard of your love, I've been praying for you. I'm praying. One of the things he's praying is that, you'll, that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and a knowledge of him. You know, we can't get our view of God from from like our, our little cute little Sunday school teachings and pictures. We can't get them from, from our ideas of our friends and all those kind of things. We can't, can't get them, not, not that those things are, are, aren't bad, you know, like Sunday school teaching and stuff, but we have to have a full and a mature and a complete understanding of who he is. And he's going to show us as we mature and as we grow up, he's going to give us a bigger understanding of who he is. We're going to be able to see more and more and more of who he is. And once we get a picture of who God is, it's going to change our lives. Because we're going to see a God who, who's, who's done everything. Everything for us. He's provided everything for life and godliness. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He has given us all. Because he loves us so much. That's his motivation. His heart is clear and seen. And if we have any picture, any picture of God, you know, and again, that doesn't, negate God's justice see that's where people really struggle you know that they really struggle with why well why why does God bring judgment why in the Old Testament does he bring wrath do you know what it says in some of the scriptures it says that the children of Israel were 
in the desert because the fullness of time hadn't come for the ones that were going were gonna to be judged. That's, uh, excuse me, they were in Egypt for 400 years, right? I said the desert. They were in Egypt 400 years, the Bible says, because God was giving these nations 400 years to change. He was giving them an opportunity to change. He was speaking to them. He was sending, I'm sure he sent prophets just like he sent. He didn't want Nineveh to be destroyed. That's why he sent Jonah. And Jonah said, I'm not going. He had, a, he had a right view of God in one sense. He didn't have the fear of God, but he had a right, right understanding of God in the sense that he said, I know you're compassionate. I know you're merciful. And if I preach and they repent, you're going to forgive them. And you aren't going to kill them and destroy them. And that's what I want because they're our enemy. They're going to come and destroy our land. I know that because he's a prophet of God. God had showed him that Assyria was going to come and bring destruction. But he goes, no, I know you're compassionate. That's why he ran away because he goes, I know if you do this, you're going to let these guys off. And they're going to, if they repent, you're going to be kind to them because that's who you are. God always gives people opportunity. We don't might not understand it or see it, but there's always opportunity because God is always working. God's always working. We're not going to find one person that's going to say, oh, I never knew about there was such a thing as a God because it says God has made it evident to each one. It says it in the book of Romans. He makes it evident in their heart that there is a God. Now, they can choose to say, I don't believe in God. Oh, wait, I better hurry up. I could be here all day. Woohoo! hoo First Peter, or 2 Peter 1.3, we already read this, but I want to grab the second part of this verse. I want you to see the second part of it. Because it says one of the things that he wants to, wants to do is that we have all these wonderful, precious promises and all these things through... A true knowledge of who God is. We have all these things through a true knowledge of who he is. Do you know if you don't believe God's for you and you're not going to approach him? Do you know if you don't understand that you're holy and righteous through the blood of Jesus? You're not going to boldly come into the throne room of, of, of mercy and to receive grace in your time of need. We have to understand that he's made a way and he loves us and he wants us to come to him. And he's given us everything. It says there's a true knowledge of his glory and excellence. And that's what we really need to do. God loves you. Man, this, that, that, was, there's, that was in a lot of the songs today. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It was in some of the things that I sang. It was in something. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. You don't have to go, does God love me? He loves you. Well, how do I know? Jesus. Jesus came for you. God so loved the world, gave his son. God sent Jesus. Jesus loved you so much he came, and he gave the Holy Spirit who loves us so much that he's willing to live in us and abide in us. God's Holy Spirit's not going, I just don't like this place. No, he loves us. He's here and he's filling our lives. He is our life and gives it to us. God's for you. 
God is good. God is loving. God is kind. God's faithful. God's true. God's unchanging. God is righteous. God is just. And we could keep going on and on and on to say the things of who he is. We have to understand that our picture of God determines our ability to believe in the things that he says to us. If we have a bad picture of God, we won't pursue him. If we have a wrong understanding of who God is, we'll hold back because we'll believe, oh, it's not really for me. But God has it for us, and he loves us with an everlasting love. We need a true knowledge of who he is. Boy, and that, this is huge. It's huge. When we get a right knowledge, it'll change everything. Everything. And guess what? We just keep having it. Because we're humans. We can't comprehend God, you know. But guess what? He shows us. He reveals things. He shows himself to us. I just think of Moses. God, show me your glory. He just wants, I want to see your glory. He's got, I mean, all this stuff is happening. His face is changing. You know, the radiance of the glory of God's on him. He's, he's coming out and people are freaking out and being afraid. And he has to cover his face and all these things. And then he says, show me your glory. He's talking with God face to face because the cloud comes down. Boom. He doesn't see God's face because God's in the cloud because if he showed him, he'd die. And so God says, I I can't show you my glory. That's basically what he's saying. So he puts him in the cleft of the rock and it says he put his hand over him and it says he passed by and all he let him see was his goodness because he couldn't handle the glory. But he handled the goodness and he, oh, you know, he just, that had to be awesome. Wow, God, you're showing me your goodness. A true knowledge of who God is. Here's a huge one. This one is on an equal level, I think, with knowing who God is. You need a true knowledge of who you are in Christ. I just started making some videos made five of them so far that talks about who we are in Christ. I have a list of 93 that I'm going to actually do. 93 of these babies, so get ready. They're going to be coming, and they're going to be on the website, and they're going to be available for you to know who you are in Christ. And like I said, I have 93 examples, and I'll bet you I'll come up with more by the time I'm really done because (laughs) there's a lot of stuff in the Scripture And you can see some of these up here. You know, it says that we're sons and daughters. Do you know that Jesus gives you the right to become a son or a daughter? He gives us the right to become children of God. It's Jesus who does that. He's for you. He wants you. He's bringing you into the family. He gives you the right to be adopted into the family of God. And so we're sons and we're daughters. We're not slaves in the stable. You know, God's got this big castle. You know, let's picture him as the king. Got this big castle. But then we're not walking around. I'm just the king's son, you know. I'll just live in the, in the, 
you know, the stable with the horses and stuff. I'll just live out here. You know, that's the, that's the prodigal son. He came back. I'll just be my dad's servant. I know he has stuff. He'll feed me. He'll take care of me. <laughs> and this guy's coming back. I'm just going to be the slave. We're not, we're not slaves in that sense. You know what a bond slave is? What a bond servant is? One who willfully submits themselves to, to the person. They don't have to. Did you know in the, in the kingdom of Israel, they had it set up. God has a commandment in there to set this up. It says if someone works for you, let's say someone becomes impoverished, they have to kind of give up their land and those things, and they come and work for someone. They could only work for so many years, and they had to be set free because that was one of God's rules because he was giving the people the land. He didn't want them to come into enslavement, but they could give themselves to service. And so what they would do is they would do that. But they said, if you love your, your master that, that you're working with and you want to, you can actually go put your ear on his doorpost. He'll stick a hole through it with an awl, A-W-L, punch a hole in your ear, and that's a sign that you are his bond slave. You're a bond servant because you said, I love my master. I'm willingly submitting myself. And that's what God wants. We're not, we're not slaves like, oh, oh, we're just slaves of God. I was a slave of the devil, now I'm a slave of God. No, we're bond slaves because we say, I give myself. I give myself to you. I'm piercing my ear in that sense, spiritually, because I'm not going to pierce my ear the other way. Sorry, not into piercings. Uh, maybe it's just my generation, I don't know, but... Uh, the Lord asked me to do it, I'd do it. He said, stick your ear up here. Boom! I'd do it. But we're sons and daughters. We live in what He has made available to us. How about this thing? We're new creations. Do you know you're a new creation in Christ? Do you know that word means new creation? It's not just, well, it does. What's really kind of crazy is we think, well, God's just rehabbing the old piece of junk. I'm just an old sinner. I'm just an old piece of garbage. But God's kind of rehabbing me, taking care of me. When he put his spirit in you, again, when your spirit was dead and you came to Christ, you are alive. You are a new creation. Well, my body didn't change. You're a new creation. All things have become new. We got to know who we are and what we have. We're new. New creatures. There's no one like you. No one has the same spirit that you have. No one on the face of the earth. You're new. When you became born again, it's more than you know. Do you know why we sit and grovel? <laughs> why do we do that? Because we don't know who we are. And that's what we need. God, help me see who I am in you. That's what I'm talking about when I say a true knowledge of who you are in Christ. Do you know you're a saint? I had this yesterday. This is one of my pet peeves of the universe. Okay, It's high up on my list. Well, I'm just a sinner. Well, if you think you're a sinner, you don't understand the Word of God. Jesus Christ has made you a saint. You are a saint. Well, I sin. You, that's not your nature. That's not who you are. That's not your heart and desire. You are new. And you're a saint. I just see, see myself sin. I'm just kind of caught. Because when we see ourselves as sinners and helpless, 
You see, it says that divine power. God gives us the power to walk. Well, you said if it says you don't have, if you say you're without sin, you're deceiving yourself. I'm not saying I don't have sin. I'm saying my identity is I'm not a sinner. My identity is a saint. I might sin, but that's not my identity. It's not who I am. As a matter of fact, you know, when we're raising kids, don't we teach them? No, that's not the way we act. It's not the way we act because that's not who we are. You don't act this way. And so when we sin, God's gracious. He says, come, run back, get straightened out. We don't act that way because you're not a sinner, you're a saint. Now, you argue with God on that. You go ahead and tell him, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. Find me in the scriptures. You find in all these scriptures in the New Testament where it calls you a sinner once you come to Jesus. You find it for me and let me know. Well, if you can find it, let me know. All right, can you tell? Ooh, I hate that one. Because it limits us. If our minds, I'm a sinner, we're going to sin. Where you put your focus and attention, who you think you are, that's what you're going to do. Now, I'm not saying, let's come up with a bunch of fake stuff. The Bible says we're holy, right? The Bible says we're saints. And so if he says it, I have to agree with him. Because he says you're no longer this. You're this. You're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of light. You don't have to live like you're in this kingdom. You can live in this kingdom. There's new rules, regulations. There's new things to be involved in. And we can even keep on going. We're sheep. That means that Jesus is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. When we're sheep, uh, we go, yeah, we're just dumb, stupid sheep. No, we're sheep. See, we can always make ourselves look negative and bad and terrible and rotten. You know, that's one of the things I don't like about some of the teachings in Calvinism. We're dirty, rotten, stinking scum. And we have to keep saying it over and over and over and over and over instead of saying what the Bible says we are. We're his sheep. He loves his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not saying, oh, you scummy old sheep. He's bringing life to his sheep. He's protecting his sheep. He's keeping his sheep. Do you know we're the branch and he's the vine? That means we're, we're attached to the vine where life comes from. We're attached to him. Our life comes from him. And if we have fruitfulness in our lives, it's because we're in the vine. We're attached to him and his life flows through us and brings life. Sometimes we think, oh, I have to give people this and that and this. We have to give them Jesus. We have to point people to Jesus and give away the life of Jesus that he's given to us because he's the, he's the vine flowing life into us. We're holy. Don't say that. I sinned today. You're holy. You're set apart for God and his purpose, his plan. You've been called out. 
Man, I'm just going to whip over some of these because I took too long on those other ones. But that's okay. You get the idea. Do you know what? The Word of God says you're blameless, that you're forgiven, that you're free from condemnation because it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're alive in Him. You're seated in him, with Him in the heavenly places. You're God's workmanship. You're the light of the world. You're the salt. You're His beloved. You're a living stone. You're part of a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood, a chosen race, and a holy nation. Now, if we even got half of these, we'd go, wow. And you don't go, oh, look at me. I'm awesome. It's because of his divine power. It's because of what he's done. We're set in these positions, in these places, and have all these things because what he's done, not what we've done. We can never boast in the things that we do. Because... It's Him at work in us. He's given us these things. And we just received them. Hey, did you see how good I was? God came up with a $100 bill. I stuck my hand out and I took it. He gave it to me, but look, I took it. I, did you see how good I was? Did you see the technique when I took it? Yeah, it's like, what are you boasting about? Somebody gave you 100 bucks. thank them. We have nothing to boast in. I'm going crazy. Paul did it, so I can do it too. Wahoo! He goes, I'm insane! All right. (laughs) Are you ready? Well, this stuff's true. We need to know, the third thing is, a true knowledge of our inheritance in Christ. Our inheritance in Christ isn't just for the future. There's inheritance here on the earth. All right, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And get this, he's always praying that the eyes get opened, eyes of our heart. We, we need to know in our hearts this stuff, not just our brain. That's the problem. We got a lot of brain stuff, but we need heart stuff. God... It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? And these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he bought about in Christ. Now you see that strength of his might? All this is God's stuff, and he's giving it. He's, I pray that your eyes would be open to understand all the inheritance that you have. Do you know you're an heir of God? That's what the Bible says. You're a joint heir with Jesus. Does a joint heir mean like you get the same thing, right? Isn't that what a joint heir means? You're, you're together. You're getting a reception of everything. Because of Christ, whatever... God has for Christ because of all the things that he's done. That's us too. We have the same inheritance. We have the same inheritance. And it's wonderful. We have every spiritual blessing. We already talked about that. We have everything for life and godliness, but I'm underlining it again. Eternal life begins now, not then. I want to write this to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. And it's now, not then. That's life as God intends it to be. His life. All right. 
We have shalom, his peace, his wholeness in every part of our life, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, vocationally, and other lees that are out there. There's a whole bunch of them. I probably just couldn't figure them out because I don't know all the fancy terms for them. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit where God gives us power to be witnesses. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of God manifests His presence out of us. We have the fruit of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit births within us the very life of God, the love and the joy and the peace. I just don't have enough love for people. Well, then use God's love. He's given it to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It comes from Him. Just let it flow from you. We have a future inheritance, of course, new bodies in the presence of the Lord, and we get to walk in His presence. We get to see God's face then, because we can handle it. New bodies mean glory. When it says we're glorified, it means we can handle the glory. All right, since I talked about this one recently, I'm going to just whip over this one. Because I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and, and, but I'm putting this together so that we have this in one picture. What we also need to know is a true knowledge of the authority that we have as a believer. Now I want you to picture these four things real quick before I go through this one. And we're going to whip through some scriptures. It's going to be kind of fun. I pursue and open my heart, get a right view of who God is. I'm looking at his word and what he says. I get a right view of who I am. I understand the fullness of the riches that he has made available to me, which he reveals through his scripture and also through words that he might speak to us because God directs us each and every day. He shows us stuff. And then he gives us authority to stand against all the works of the enemy. He gives us authority to go forth and preach his good news and to stand against all the works of the enemy. So the things that are coming against us, you know, just think of Paul. I mentioned this the other day, but just, he goes, he's writing, uh, I've had a few troubles, paraphrase. He says, beatings without number. He, he doesn't even know how many times he got beat up by crowds he was preaching to. Now that's fun. Didn't deter him in the least bit. Because he was pressing forth for what God had laid hold of him. You know when, when, when Jesus gave that revelation of himself to Saul on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded? Three days he was blind and he was fasting and he wouldn't drink water and he wouldn't eat. And he was in this place and the Lord came to him and said, some guy's going to come, his name's going to be Ananias, he's going to lay hands on you. And he says, he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and the scales will come off your eyes. And that's what happened. Boom, he came. But it says that in that time, those three days, God showed him all the things that he would have to suffer ahead of time. He showed him all that he would suffer. It says it right in the Word of God. And he still chose because he sees the surpassing greatness. Do you know what he said? Oh, this is, this is Paul. This is Paul. Well, I don't even count the sufferings of this world to be anything in comparison to the greatness of what's coming. He knew who he was. He knew 
what he had in Christ. He knew who God was. All right, let's go over this real quick. We always have to understand this, is that when I'm talking about the will of God, I'm talking about in His purpose. We all know authorities that have overstepped their authority and taken authority and used it as a club against people. That's not what we're talking about. Godly authority is not a club against people to keep people under control and manipulate and do those things. So I'm not even talking about that, but I mean standing in authority for the things that God has called us to do, and we get to stand in that. And it's never an authority over people. God doesn't give you authority over people. He gives authority like in the sense of a, of, of a father, a mother and a father over children to protect and to keep them. But if you notice that in the scripture it even talks about it, is that's a stewardship. They're not even our kids. We think, oh, my kid... God, you don't tell me what to do with my kid. Well, who in the world gave you that kid? Come off it. So anyway, I better quit. All right. So authority is never just a, I'm your authority. You know, that's not God authority. Okay. So authority to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, the continuing mission of Jesus to have it happen here. That's what we have authority for. And he's given that to us. So I'm going to just whip through some scriptures because, like I said, I just recently did this. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 28, 18. What does he give us authority to do? One thing is to preach the gospel. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So he's saying, I have it all. Now go. He's talking to the disciples and us. Because it's in other places where it's to everyone. But it says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he gives us authority to preach the gospel. That's why in Acts chapter 4, when the, when the rulers said, hey, we're in charge of Jerusalem, we're in charge of Israel, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And he goes, no. I have a greater command. I have a command from God to preach the gospel. And it doesn't matter what you do. Throw us in prison. Kill us. Do, us, do what you want. We're preaching the gospel. And they did. They did preach the gospel. And a lot of them did get killed. Just amazing. So we have authority to preach we have authority to make disciples of the nations. That's his authority. Every nation. Every nation. Every nation. So there's no limit. So a nation says, you can't come in here and preach the gospel. Oh, yes, I can. Because Jesus said I could. Yeah, you can imprison me if you want. You can do whatever you want. But I have a higher authority. All right. I love this one. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. 
Matthew 10.1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, and as you go preach, there's that preach thing, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you received, freely... And then Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Now this it says, who have believed. That's everybody. Whoever believes in Jesus. It says, these signs will accompany them. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if any deadly poison, uh, it will not, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So we get this great picture of who God is. We get an understanding of who we are in God, not from our past, not from the things that have happened in our life, but from the new things that have come because of who God is. We understand all the things that he has made available, every blessing and all the things that we have inheritance to, and the authority that we have to stand up against the enemy, and we rise up. Man, you have these four things down in your life. Your life is going to be different. So what does he give us authority to? I think there's one last slide. To preach the gospel, to make disciples, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons. This is life as God intends it to be on this earth. You know, maybe I should do part two, life as God intends it to be, not on this earth. How's that sound? Because there's so many precious promises for the future. And many wonderful things. We're going to be dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Now I, I'm going to say this and then I'll end. And we can minister to people who want prayer. You know a lot of times. One of the things that. The evangelical church is focused on so much is heaven. Heaven, 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 heaven. That we forget what's going on here. And we need to bring heaven to the earth. And, of course, we're not going to redeem everything. Jesus does that. You know, it says in, in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back and he brings his judgment upon the earth, because there's going to be a time he's withholding that. He's withholding his judgment. Do you remember what Jesus said? I didn't come to condemn the world. But when he comes again, he's going to hold everyone accountable for the things that they've done. And it says, you know, we talk about heaven because Heaven's kind of a holding place because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it talks about God dwelling on the earth and Jesus dwelling on the earth and we are going to be on the earth and he is going to be in our presence. Just like he put the tabernacle there, it's kind of a picture of what he wants to do. It's a return to the garden, but it's going to be with God's presence right there. Just like he used to come visit Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. We're going to live with him. And he, we're going to see him. So our ultimate goal is not heaven, but a new earth. Because that was God's plan in the first place. To dwell amongst his people on this earth. And sin brought the destruction that it brought. But he's restoring that. We're phase one. Phase two is the new heavens and the new earth. And so just 
Dig into the Word of God. Find out who you are. And if your mind disagrees with it, smack it. Well, do you know what it says in the Scripture? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you know what that word means? It's like take a prisoner of war. When that thing comes into your mind, it doesn't agree with God. Get your shotgun out and say, Get out! Right here! You come over here! And you're captive! You're not staying in my head. I know I'm going crazy. I love it. I must be nuts today. Woohoo! But doggone it. Yeah, that's what it means. Take it captive. Don't just go, oh, thoughts are just bumped. Stop. I'm taking authority over you. And take it captive. And get it out of your mind. All right, Lord, we just, we're grateful for you and... Thank you for these wild and crazy people who put up with me. Woohoo! But we just want to press into what you have. We want your truth. We want a true picture of you. We want a true picture of who we are. We want a true picture of our inheritance. We want a true picture of our authority so we can walk in the life that you intend us to walk in. And so thank you for that. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Now, I'm doing this just because I am. I'd like, um, if anyone wants ministry, you guys come up for anything, because Jesus wants to deal with life. Anything you want prayer for, he wants to deal with. So uh, I should maybe ask the Lord who before service and talk to you guys, but I know you're flexible and you can handle life. So I'd like Joanne and Renee, can you come? You can't come? You sure? You have to go and run away, huh? All right. Very good. 